All right. Well, uh, we're going to record this this morning because several guys are out because of Falls Creek. So if you're not familiar with our Together Church podcast, this is going to be on the Together Church podcast. And you can go and find that or share that with other people. You've got a note page. So I encourage you to grab that note page real quick. We're talking about the way of escape. As we look at this fourth point of being locked in, being able to blow the horn when I need help. And if you if you noticed on that sheet, on the fourth point for being locked in, there was a scripture verse. And the scripture verse is from the book of Nehemiah. And it provides an illustration. I'm going to start there in the Old Testament. And then we're going to look at a complementing concept in the New Testament. Okay, so here's the Old Testament illustration. This passage in Nehemiah about being able to blow the horn when I need help. You guys remember this period of history in, in the nation of Israel when because of their sin, they were exiled to Babylon. Pretty familiar with this? Yeah. It's a pretty big part of Israel's history. And so for years, they practiced idolatry. They were practicing sexual immorality. They were practicing all kinds of sin. And so finally, God made good on his promises that he had made them in the covenant. And he said, if you don't keep these words, I'm not going to allow you to continue to be blessed by me. So they were exiled to Babylon. They were there 70 years. And then God restored them like he promised that he was going to do. And so they're coming back to the promised land and God's got this purpose for them. He's got this mission for them. And the first step in, in rebuilding the nation of Israel after the exile is to reestablish the capital city of Jerusalem and to construct the walls around the city, to build those walls back up. But the problem was, as these guys were working on the walls, uh, they were being attacked from their enemy on every side. There were people in that area that uh, did not want the reestablishment of Israel to take place. So they were coming up against them and they were attacking them. And so what they did was as they were being attacked, they decided that they needed to have a strategy to fend off the enemy. So the strategy was going to be this. Guys were going to have a tool for building the wall in one hand, but their sword in the other hand. And they were going to station people in groups all together around the wall working to construct this wall and at those different groups they were going to have somebody who was going to sound the trumpet so that if if everybody if anybody was being attacked if there was an enemy that was coming up against them there would be somebody who could sound the trumpet and blow the call for help and when the trumpet was sound, they were going to rally to that person. And they were going to fight the enemy and fend off the enemy at that place at the wall. So that's the illustration that's here. And here's the scripture, Nehemiah 4.20 on your page. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. And then it says this, our God will fight for us. So there was this faith, there was this belief that God was going to fight for them that God was going to show up. If they rallied together, that God was going to be there with them and they were going to win the battle that they were fighting. Are you following me? Okay, so this is the illustration in the Old Testament about blowing the horn and calling for help. So now I was thinking about how do I want to share this this morning and asking the Lord, what's the word for us today? And I thought about this complimenting principle in the New Testament and you have it right here on your paper. Paul calls it the way of escape. And I was thinking about when it comes to the battles we fight in our life. And I want to be clear, temptation and sin is a battle. 
But you know that that's not the primary battle we're called to fight, right? I mean, sometimes in the church, it's almost like we make the mission not sinning. Okay, no, the mission is to make disciples of Jesus and be like him, and sin is an obstacle to that mission. So we don't want to have the mindset that the goal is to simply not sin for the sake of not sinning. No, the goal is to be like Jesus. The goal is to make disciples for Jesus. And if I'm engaging and living in sin, I'm not going to be able to accomplish that goal. And so I think I was thinking about this complementing principle, the way of escape. It's in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And I just want to start by reading this passage to you. And then what we're going to do is just kind of unpack this and then discuss it. So here's what it says. It's on your sheet. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. You see the link between that verse and the verse before it? God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is the promise from God's word. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to look at this verse. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. Lord, that you would use this concept that, that you inspired Paul to write about the way of escape to help us understand what it looks like for us to be men who are locked in and for there to be an ability and a willingness to sound the call when we need help and other men to rally to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so look here at this verse. The first thing it says in the very first sentence is, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to men. So the next heading there, temptations common to man, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13. If you were to take your Bible, we're not going to do it now because of time, but if you were to take your Bible and if you were going to go back and look at those verses, what you're going to find is an illustration that Paul uses about the people of Israel. And in that illustration that Paul is using about the people of Israel, he's basically explaining they had all this unity because of these good practices and what God was doing in their midst. They had, I mean, they had all this like good things going, but, but they were still battling sin. They were going through spiritual experiences that God was doing around them, but they were still giving in to temptation. And he uses Israel as an example. And then he lists some things that Israel was involved in. And he actually lists four sins specifically. And when he says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to men, it comes right off him listing these four things. So if we want to understand, well, what are the temptations that are common to men? Well, Paul identifies four of them in 1 Corinthians 1 through 13. And here they are, idolatry. Idolatry is worshiping, serving, or depending on something ahead of God. Can you relate to idolatry? Can you relate to personally looking to something else to help meet your your physical needs your emotional needs your spiritual needs besides god i mean i can i can be transparent and say one of the ones i recognize i'm battling right now mine used to be pornography that used to be the one that i leaned on the lord set me free from that it was a process even after i was walking in freedom the temptation was still very strong um but i've been walking in freedom for a while and i'm not going to say i'm never tempted but i'm going to say that temptation is not the daily battle i face anymore but the daily battle I face now is if I start to get my emotions out of check, um, I'm looking to eat food, drink something sugary or something that'll make me feel better and spend money on it. That makes me feel better. I like to go to a restaurant, sit down, 
and just get some food in me, unhealthy food, you know, that's going to help me cope with my emotions. That's, a, that's I, I, almost, not daily, but that's a regular battle for me. And I, and I recognize it frequently, and I recognize it as idolatry, okay? Because what I'm doing is I'm turning to something that was created rather than the creator of that good thing to try to help me through. And God wants to be the person that I depend on. Don't you know that that was Israel's problem in the wilderness? They kept looking for all these other solutions when God was the solution. And so God wants me to turn to him. So perhaps for you, there's some kind of idolatry in your life that's a regular temptation to sin. Paul says that that temptation is common to man. It's common to man. Here's another one. He actually specifically lists sexual immorality. We talked about this Sunday. If you missed Sunday's message, I'd encourage you to go back and hear it. The word, the Greek word is pornea, and it, it's all-encompassing word for sexual immorality. And Paul says sexual immorality is a temptation that is common to man. In other words, if you go back to Israel, the example that Paul was using, or if you go back to the first Corinthian church when Paul's writing this letter, or if you fast forward 2,000 years to today, you go through all that period of history, you're going to find idolatry. You're going to find sexual immorality. You're going to find temptations to those sin because they're common to man. It doesn't matter where you live or what time period you're in. These are temptations that are common to man. Here's another one. Putting Christ to the test. Questioning God. I'm just going to summarize it with pride. Instead of, you are God and I am not. Isn't that the heart that we should have? No matter our circumstances, even when they're difficult, you are God and I am not. Putting Christ to the test, Paul lists that one. And then the last one he says is complaining. Men don't complain, right? That's a woman thing. I'm just kidding. I complain all the time, right? I mean, we get the wife jokes going, but come on. Honestly, in my marriage relationship, I'm the bigger complainer, okay? And so uh, this is a temptation that is common to man, grumbling, taking God's goodness for granted. And he says, hey, this is one of those temptations that are common to all people in all places throughout all history, which means, guys, it's common in this room. It means it's common for us right here. So... The next question we need to ask is, what is temptation? And here's the reason we need to ask that question. Go back on your sheet and look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13 again. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted by your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. If we want to understand the way of escape, what does Paul attach to it? He says it's with temptation. He will provide the way of escape. So before we can really understand the way of escape, Paul's concept of it here, we need to understand what Paul means by temptation. And we say this all the time. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So if you're wanting to understand what the Bible means by temptation, you should consider what the Bible says about temptation before you go to any external resource. So here we go on the question. Point one, the gospel uses the same Greek word to describe Jesus' time in, in the wilderness. That word temptation or tempted in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that Paul uses is also the word that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, the scripture uses to define Jesus when he goes out into the wilderness, remember this, and he was tempted by the devil. Well, what does that tell us? It's pretty important. Jesus has encountered temptation like we do. Jesus is not unfamiliar with this idea of temptation. Hebrews, point two, Hebrews uses the same Greek word to talk about Jesus. And look at it in Hebrews 4, 15, and it gets a little more specific. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, there it is, as we are, yet without sin. So here's the, here's the description of Jesus. He has been tempted in every way we are, but has not sinned. That gives a pretty important concept about temptation, and we'll summarize it in a second, but look at the next one, Hebrews 2.18, talking about Jesus again. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So who is our helper in the midst of temptation? It is Jesus. He is the one who has experienced temptation and is our helper when we are being tempted. So there's a couple, a little bit of commentary about the word temptation. Point three, James also provides a, con, a, a commentary on the concept of temptation to sin in the New Testament. And I think his really helps us understand a couple more points about temptation before we move on to the way of escape. Look at James 1, 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, we all are tempted. When you're being tempted, do not say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God is not the source of your temptation to sin, ever. It's important for us to realize that. So what is the source? Where does temptation come from? Verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Oh, we need to understand that in New Testament teaching. We're talking about the desires of our flesh. We're talking about sin that is in our members. I'm not talking about right here. Uh, James isn't talking about who we are in Christ, okay? He is talking about who I am in the flesh. He's talking about sin in me like Paul talks about in Romans 7. Where does, sin, where does temptation come from? It comes from us being lured and enticed by our own desire. It's on us. 15. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Okay, so we looked at these passages of Scripture. Let me just summarize for you temptation so that we can understand the way of escape that comes with every temptation, according to Paul. Okay? Summary. Everybody faces temptation to sin. That's what we just saw. There's not one guy in this room. Uh, have you faced temptation to sin in the last week? Show of hands, please. Okay, we're all on the same playing field here. Jesus was tempted like us, yet without sin. So if we're looking for a strategy to win, where should we look? There's only one guy who's ever done it successfully. No one else has ever been successful at this. So I just want to be like Jesus. And I just want to help others become more like him. Three, God does not tempt anyone to sin. So important that, that we understand that, that God is not the source of temptation so that we never look at our struggle and our temptation and we say, God, why are you doing this to me? No, we need to understand the source. James says the source, the fourth bullet there is temptation ultimately comes from being enticed by our own desires. That's our desires in the flesh. So we have to look inward and say, what is it in me? What is it in my flesh that is causing whatever I'm experiencing externally to create temptation? Do you understand what I'm saying? So the temptation, according to James, doesn't even come from the external. It might prompt the temptation. I might encounter an image 
that prompts the, in, 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 the temptation. I might, uh, you know, uh, see some food that prompts the temptation. There may be something external, but ultimately the temptation comes from my own desires in the flesh when I'm lured and enticed by them. So I need to understand, oh, it's something in my flesh. It's something in me. And, and fortunately, I'm not my flesh, right? Amen. We'll get to that in a minute. And the last one is unchecked temptation gives birth to sin and brings forth death. We know where this is going, guys. And I want you to know, yes, the wages of sin is death. And what we understand first and foremost is that we all deserve death. If we got what we deserve today, we would, we would deserve death and separation from God forever in a place called hell. That's what we deserve because of our sin. Okay. Now, thanks to God that we are set free from the condemnation of sin and death. And we don't have to fear the second judgment because of the work of Christ, not because of our own goodness, but because of his goodness that has been imputed to us, his righteousness that is ours because of his work that was sufficient for us. But I want you to know this phrase, it leads to death, isn't just talking about the second death. Sin leads to death in relationships. Sin leads to death in goals and and success. Sin leads to death in your finances. Sin leads to death in your home. You will burn your house down because of sin. Sin leads to death. So this matters not just for the unbeliever. Yes, most for them. Because the consequence that that is looming and impending unless they come to Christ is the worst consequence any person could ever experience. But it applies to us as well who are in Christ because in this realm, in this era, in our lives, sin leads to death. So we've got to be motivated to overcome sin. So we've talked about temptation and the reason we needed to cover that is because Paul says back in that top verse, with temptation, he will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. So now we've set it up and we're ready to ask the question, what is the way of escape? Paul's talking about the way of escape. What is the way of escape? Well, here's a few points. The way of escape is God's promise to believers who face temptation. Okay, we see that in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He promises, he says, with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape, the way of escape. Do you see any exceptions there? Or does this sound absolute to you when you read that phrase? It sounds absolute to me. With every temptation, God will provide a way of escape. I need to have faith in that. My faith is firmly founded on the word of God. If God's word says something to me that I can't reconcile with my experience, I assume that I need to get my eyes open to this a little bit more and start looking for what the promises of God's word to be realized in my life. If I'm not seeing God's word line up, I'm assuming I'm wrong and it's right. God says with every temptation, he will provide the way of escape. This became a powerful tool for me uh, whenever I was battling temptation with pornography. The, The truth that set me free is the gospel. But this tool, this understanding that God provides a way of escape with every temptation, it opened my eyes to start looking for that way of escape. And I'll tell you what, I don't have those temptations like, hardly ever anymore where I don't recognize the way of escape. I believe it's always there, but I I hardly ever face a temptation anymore to sin where I don't recognize the way of escape. And if that's not happening in your walk, you need to come to faith that this is true so that you can open your eyes to start to recognize God's going to provide the way of escape when you face temptation because his word promises that he will. So what else? What is the way of escape? The second, 
God says he will provide the way of escape with every temptation. And third, the way of escape happens between the moment of the introduction of temptation and the choice to yield to that temptation and give in to sin. We can conclude that from all the verses we've looked at this morning because if, if temptation to sin is sin, then Jesus sinned because he was tempted. So what we understand is temptation to sin is not sin because we know that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are yet without sin. So the, the, the temptation is not a sin, but at some point from the, the, the uh, introduction of whatever it is that sparks the, the temptation, whether it's just in you or something external that prompts something in you, from that moment until you make the choice to give yourself to sin, there's a way of escape. There's a way of escape. And so we need to learn to recognize it. And what I know about temptation to sin is that sometimes that way of escape, it's temptation, way of escape. It's boom, boom. Sometimes, like, if, when I was looking at pornography and I was learning to uh, not give in to that sin anymore and went over that temptation, we called it bouncing your eyes, right? Where, where you see something that prompts a temptation, but within a millisecond, you're bouncing your eyes away from that. So the way of escape came right away, okay? The way of escape may come a few, you know, a few seconds. It may even come several minutes, depending on the nature of the sin, right? Like, I mean, as someone who deals with alcoholism, they may be thinking for hours and hours and hours about the possibility of giving into alcoholism before they actually sin by drinking alcohol and, and giving into that, that, that sin pattern that has been part of their life. And so the way of escape may come at some point way in that time period, or it may be instant, but God promises that it will come. So flip this over. Here's our application. What should you do when you recognize God is providing you with the way of escape? You, you recognize that way of escape. You're, you're becoming more aware of this. You understand this biblical concept that Paul's talking about. What should you do? Guys, you got to fight for faith in the gospel. This goes back to the illustration with Israel. They were ready to fight. They were ready to go to war. They were, they were working with a tool in one hand and a sword in the other. They were ready for the enemy and his efforts to come up against them. You have to be able to fight for faith in the gospel. What do I mean by the gospel? Well, the, the truth that will set you free from sin is not put enough blocks on your smartphone. The truth that will set you free from sin is not have enough accountability partners. I mean, sometimes I... I chuckle at the concept of accountability partners in the church as we talk about it because I go, the guy who's my accountability partner doesn't have any authority over me. How is he really going to hold me accountable? I have to be accountable to him, right? I mean, I can't really expect him to hold me accountable because he doesn't have any of that kind of authority in my life. And so, you know, my accountability partner is not the way of, not going to cause me to win in the way of escape or some kind of fence law or protection. Guys, it's not an external change that you need in order to win against the battle of temptation to sin. It's a change inside. It's a, it's a change of the mind. It's a, it's a condition that you have where you're not seeing yourself as a new creation in Christ. That the righteousness of Christ is yours because your dead, sin-filled spirit has been crucified with Christ so that you no longer live. That's Galatians 2.20. But Christ now lives in you. And the life you now live in the flesh, you don't live it for the flesh anymore. You live it by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. It's faith in the gospel that you are the new man. That you are raised with Christ. 
seated with Christ, that your life is hidden with Christ in God, that you've been clothed in righteousness. This is who I am. It's belief in that reality that will set you free from sin. And it, it's only that. There's nothing else. This is it. So first and foremost, when you recognize God is providing you with the way of escape, you've got to fight for faith in the gospel. You've got to believe this truth. You've got to believe this reality that you are a new creation in Christ and walk in that. Oh, we could spend five, ten more devotions just on this. But you hear us say it all the time, and I just want you to hear it again this morning. And just even right now in prayer to the Lord, just remind yourself, I am the new man. Just remind yourself that my flesh is not what defines me. That my temptation to sin is not what defines me. God, you define me, and this is who you say I am in Christ. Winning starts there, period. Anything else I'm going to say that's going to be helpful this morning, if that's not first, it's, it's just a house of cards. I was going to burn my house down because I tried every trick of the trade in the church except actually understanding the gospel and coming to faith in this reality, and this is the thing that saved my life. And it's, it's what will save your life if you're battling temptation to sin, which we all are. So that's the first one. Fight for faith in the gospel. But the second one, you must be able and willing to blow the horn to call for help. This goes back to the illustration, okay? Uh, look at 1 John 1, 7 through 9. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all sin unrighteousness. We've got to walk in the light. We've got to bring our sins out of the dark and into the light. Look at Galatians 6, 1 through 2, what the word of God encourages us to do uh, when someone, when a brother is struggling with sin. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, that's spiritual minded, that's understanding the truth, the eternal truth, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We've got to be able to preach the gospel to our own soul, but we've got to be able and willing to blow the horn and call others to rally to help us in the fight. The men of Israel, this is on your sheet, the men of Israel have brothers to help them combat the enemy. They depended on each other to help one another carry out God's mission. Men of the church of Jesus Christ, I'm talking to you. You have brothers to help you in the combat with the enemy. You must learn to blow the horn and rally to each other to carry out God's mission. No one can blow the horn for you. When the enemy is approaching and you're being tempted, oh, it'd be cool if I could like, Every time, get a prompt from the Holy Spirit exactly when I need to text you. But that's not my part. That's not my part. That's God's part. He's the one who will prompt you. What's your part? You have to blow the horn. You have to call for help. You have to recognize the way of escape and recognize now is the time to fight for faith in the gospel. No one can blow it for you. You must be able and willing. So many times I've run into guys in the church who I asked them, they, they tell me they failed with pornography again. And I say, did, did you, when you were being tempted, they'll talk about like, you know, I battled th with this for a couple hours and then I gave in. And I'll say, well, who did you reach out to? Well, nobody. And I go, 
you're not willing. You're not willing yet to do whatever it takes to win. You've got to be willing. You've got to come to the end of yourself and be willing to do whatever it takes because the mission is too important, because the call of God on our lives is too important, because we can't waste this life, because he's called us to lead and love and serve, and sin will derail it and kill it. So we've got to be serious about this. You've got to be able and willing to sound the call. And the men, when a brother blows the horn for help, we will rally to that man. That is who we're going to be. When someone sounds the call, we're going to rally to that man. And when you rally to him, what do you need to do when you get there? Let me give you practical guidance and you keep this sheet because some of us don't do this very well. I used to not do this very well. Sometimes we bring with us a spirit of condemnation. Don't you understand that the guy who's blowing the horn for help is already battling with condemnation and feelings of shame? You need to know how to be able to respond to this guy when you get there. And, and he may blow the horn, and, and it might have been after, after a loss of a battle. You know, that's not the best time to blow the horn. But it might have been after that. You need to know how to be able to come in and be uh, an instrument of Christ to that man. So here's what you do. Assess the battlefield. Ask, what's going on? Just ask that question to start out. Hey, man, what's going on? You called for help. What's going on? Ask clarifying questions till you understand. Withhold judgment. Don't assume that you have it. So, sometimes we like to, I don't know, appear really smart or wise and be like, oh yeah, I got it. You know, instead of asking questions so that we really make sure we've got it. So start with those questions and then have his back and thank him for blowing the horn. Don't forget to celebrate. We just invested in a culture of celebrating this morning. Celebrate that he called for help. Celebrate that he blew that horn and pray together. And then here it is goes back to point one on this segment. Fight for faith side by side. Fight for faith side by side. Oh man, there's so much imagery in the Bible about this, but uh, back to back, two guys are better than one. A, a, a cord of three is not easily broken. Man, fighting for faith on your own, that's, that's a battle that you can be quick to lose. Why do you need to blow the horn and call for help? It's not because it's some magic answer so that you won't sin anymore. It's because you need brothers to rally to you to preach the gospel to you and to encourage your faith and encourage you to fight for faith in the gospel so that you become somebody who quickly turns to those truths. And I'm just going to be honest, to this day, I still need help fighting for faith. I face temptations and battles of various kinds. And if I don't have brothers that I can talk to about what I'm facing, I'm going to give in. So we got to blow the horn for help, not because it's like putting a block on my phone or some kind of fence law, but because we need each other in the battle. We need to rally to each other to win. So you got to fight for faith side by side. Don't just tell him his temptation's bad. Duh. That's why he blew the horn, right? You shouldn't be having that temptation. Duh. Uh, that's why I blew the horn. Start up a conversation where you talk about the spirit and the flesh. Help him fight for faith in the gospel. So here's the conclusions, and then you're going to discuss. You will be tempted. Temptation is common to all people, even Jesus. God has promised to provide you with the way of escape when you are tempted. You're not alone. He is there in the middle of your temptation. When the thoughts of your mind and the intentions of your heart are ugly, he is right there in the middle of it and has promised the way of escape. Promised it in every, with every temptation. Your part is to have faith in that truth. God is there in the middle of my temptation. 
to recognize the way of escape when God provides it and to respond. How do you respond? Your response should be first fighting for faith in the gospel. Thank you, God, that I am the new man. I am a new creation in Christ. Thank you for the way of escape. You just provided it for me in the midst of this temptation. But you better not stop there, men, because you will lose if you try to fight all these battles on your own. Effective response involves a man blowing the horn and other men rallying to him. 